As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hi there, this is The Athletic Football Podcast Weekend Preview and Match Day 7 in the Premier League is our focus. I'm Adam Leventhal in central London at the Athletics HQ. We are back for another Friday and we have a wonderful cast alongside me this week. It is Tim Spears. First of all, how are you, Tim? Very well, thanks. How Good. are you? Yeah, I'm very well. I'm very well. Good to have you in the room. Uh, Kiva O'Neill, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah? You sure? Bit of a cold coming on, but ah. I feel like it's cold season now, so just got to take the hit. You've got your roll neck on. You're protected. Yeah. You're fine. Um, Nick Miller's here as well. How are you? Uh, yeah, all right. And like Kiva, I think I might have a. Uh, you can just feel it. Oh, well, this a little is great, bit, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's the small absolute, room with. Yeah, fantastic. With and colds generally, guys. Do generally get passed on in the kind of early stages before you know you got it. So you know, <laughs> even better. Brilliant. <laughs> great Brilliant. news. So this time next week, me and Adam will be. Yeah. We'll, we'll be, be under the weather. Yeah. Or you know what we need in the studio? Masks. Maybe masks or a bowl of lemons. Uh, sure. A bowl of lemons. I heard someone talking about lemons the other day. I was completely baffled, and then like what? Like obviously spotted the story and was like, okay, that's why someone was talking about lemons. For people who aren't familiar with the story, um, Maurizio Pochettino, bless him, thinks that um, if you have a bowl of lemons in your room or anywhere, that will suck the bad energy out of the room. So hopefully. Hopefully, maybe towards the end of the show, we can get some lemons in here. Not to necessarily suck the bad energy because we're all, you know, wonderful people. We all get on well. There's no bad energy in here, is there? Don't think so. <laughs> other than towards uh, other than towards Richard Pochettino, maybe. Is, is there a more damning thing you can say about a sort of top-level football manager than bless him? Oh, yeah, no, I didn't about... mean that. I didn't mean it in a bad way. I, I actually think he's a lovely guy. Mm. I think he's a lovely guy. He's he's been very good in my interactions with him. I'm sure same for you, Tim, when you you've been in touch with him and, and spoken been to in him. Touch. <laughs> yeah, we haven't caught up in a while. I mean, I've never, <laughs> I don't think I've ever been in the same room as him, let alone spoke to him. But um, okay, fine. Well, anyway, I didn't mean anything by it, and maybe we'll just get some <laughs> lemons in the room. Shall we move on? Right. So we are six games into this Premier League season, and this is just a little wrap up of where we are. Manchester City, they're top, 100 percent. 
Surprise, surprise, 18 points. Liverpool, though, second. Five wins out of six, two points back. Brighton are third with 15 points. And then Tottenham and Arsenal, who drew 2-2 in the North London derby last Sunday, they're on 14 points. They make up the top five. 2-2. Do you know who said it was going to be 2-2? Anyone? Uh, Was it... Tim Spears? Yeah, pointing at himself. Oh, hang on. himself there. Charlie Englesher said that it was going to be 2-2 as well, but I think it was, must have been after you recorded this podcast last week. So yeah. He tweeted it, didn't he? he yeah, tw- yeah, so I mean, some people just like to, you know, just tweet he, it and say, yeah, I was got, but I haven't mentioned it. I haven't mentioned it. You just, you just, yeah. just roll with it. You're just yeah, the footballing just, oracle, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. No, good. that was a good guess. I wanted to mark it because it's, it's nice sometimes when you say something and it actually happens. I, I thought that was... It's very rare, so it's worth pointing out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's more the point, yeah. Um, in the bottom three, again, we said like with Manchester City being top, unfortunately, it is the three promoted teams. Sheffield United are bottom, Burnley second bottom, and Luton third from bottom, all still with one point. Bournemouth, 17th. They're the only other team in the Premier League without a win. Now, this weekend, it is a 0-8-1-1 setup. It's a big bulky Saturday, everyone. All of the top 10 and all of the bottom six are in action. Shall I run you through them? Do it. Brilliant. I will. Let's go. It is Villa against Brighton at 12.30. Then you've got six 3pm kickoffs. Bournemouth against Arsenal. Everton against Luton. Manchester United against Crystal Palace. Newcastle Burnley. West Ham, Sheffield United and Wolves against Manchester City. Then at 5.30, and this is the one that we're going to really focus on in this podcast, it is Tottenham against Liverpool. And then to complete the weekend, you've got Forest against Brentford, two o'clock Sunday, and then the Monday night football, Fulham and Chelsea and all their lemons are there at Craven Cottage. One other thing on, on culinary things, something caught my eye from you, Tim, and I just wanted to mention it because it reminded me that I thought maybe comfort food is part of your life a fish finger waffle sandwich with mushy peas oh you you put posted this on instagram and i saw it and i screen grabbed it instantly you just drawn one one at at luton was was this very much comfort food or is this is this usually how you roll because it looks like quite quite something Uh, that was actually it was friday night actually uh, but didn't post it till Saturday. So it wasn't. It wasn't like, oh, oh okay. Wolves didn't beat Luton. It's horrendous. I need to eat some fish fingers and waffles. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, no, that was actually a request of me. My friends uh, saw that advertising on Instagram or something. They were like, uh, they don't have an oven at the moment, so they were like, oh, can we come to yours and have uh, uh, fish finger sandwiches, but with waffles as the bread, right? And then like a layer of mushy peas in the. It sounds in the gross. No, 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 no. It's you, sort of like posh, sorry, po- 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 posh, posh fish and... Yeah, like it looks it. gross as well. I was on board until the... Oh, there's some cheese in there as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Cheese is, is yeah, that yeah. a bit rogue, cheese, fish fingers? I think it's, the peas are more rogue, I think. No. I was on board until the peas. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, th- this this has this has drawn... Did you see it on TikTok? Uh, I, I don't. I have, but I've had adverts from Birdseye uh, all week actually since 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 making it, which is interesting. What they've been serving you adverts after you posted that? Yeah, after I posted that. I guess I've been talking about it a lot, and I'm probably going to get even more. Nice. Are you an influencer yeah. now? Or waffle <laughs> influencer? I've got to say the reaction has been extreme to me posting that between people who think yeah, ugh, awful, and people who think yeah, it's, it's like it's when genius. I said about having hot cereal and people freaked out about that. 
Hot cereal. Yeah, so like oh, yeah, hot cornflakes. Yeah, I remember that. The Jeepers. internet lost its mind. <laughs> you know what? You know what, everyone? I think we might be digressing. I'm getting looks from the producer. Okay. Um, so let's move on from that mouth-watering discussion to the most mouth-watering fixture of the weekend. And it is Tottenham against Liverpool. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, 5.30 on Saturday. And two teams, two redesigns head-to-head. We have Tottenham in fourth, all about Ange Ball, against Liverpool in second. Liverpool 2.0, as they are now known, according to Jurgen Klopp. And I just wanted to give our two dedicated uh, reporters an opportunity for a little bit of an elevator pitch. Um, Let's start with Tottenham. About the redesign, what would you say are the main elements of this Tottenham redesign under Ange? I mean, redesign suggests, you know, taking what was last season and changing it. And they couldn't be any more different from last season. I remember coming on podcasts like like this and others and covering Spurs and it felt like a chore to to talk about Spurs because people were so bored of talking about them. I was bored of writing about them in a way, you know, because it was the same nonsense every single week. Whereas they've... And I think this is part of the success so far because the players are so keen to buy into what Andrews brought in because they were so sick of what Conte was doing last season in terms of it being so regimented, the endless meetings, you know, being told what to do, um, the negativity, the negative tactics, safety first, clean sheets. They actually admitted, Christian Stellini actually admitted that they weren't trying to score in first halves a lot of the time last season, which is insane when you think about it. They were trying to conserve energy so that they would be fresher late in the game to score, which, okay, maybe you can sort of see the logic in that, but it sounds bonkers now. Um, and yeah, as, as part of that, so many players have been reinvigorated, particularly Yves Basuma, but also Son, Romero, who's gone from 11 bookings to, I think, two fouls this season, um, and Kulisevsky. So yeah, the whole the whole play, uh, the feel more than anything, that stadium is completely transformed. It feels amazing to be there and, and be part of it. You can sense it. It reminds me a little bit of Arsenal last season. Um, and if they win this weekend, then people will start talking about them in those terms, in terms of what Arsenal did last year, because it has that same feel. We'll discuss a few of those points that you've raised there, but let's let's kick on to, to Liverpool 2.0. For people who, who don't know what I'm talking about when I'm saying Liverpool 2.0, this is something that Klopp has said. And, and what, does it, what does it mean? I guess for me, it feels like it sort of began at the end of last season, because Liverpool are obviously unbeaten now in, I think, 17 Premier League games. Mm. So obviously the formation change and moving Trent Alexander-Arnold into the hybrid role, that was sort of the beginning of it. And then actually, you know, how many midfielders left the club? I think it was five in total and four joined. It did feel like, you know, we were building up to this rebuild and transition. And it's almost like Liverpool should still be in a transition, but then Dominic Soboslai just had other ideas and thought... Nah, I'm going to hit the ground absolutely running Alexis McAllister as well when he's played I think the midfield is transformed and then you've got someone like Curtis Jones who's just gone over 100 appearances for Liverpool kind of maybe out of nowhere to some people but if you've watched Liverpool obviously a lot you know that he's been getting there and he was very much part of how you know Liverpool turned things around towards the end of last season and it just yeah it feels like the positivity is sort of radiating out of the midfield to everywhere else. The, the midfield thing I find extraordinary. That they've just a completely new midfield. I know that Jones has played some games and Elliot's played some games, but it's, I don't know. Is, is there anything in particular that they've done to to be able to get these players who were kind of 
strangers and have only just joined to gel so quickly? I mean, is it just as simple as McAllister and Slobberslay are just really good players and they've fitted in really nicely? It feels that way when you watch Slobberslay in particular. Like McAllister, no one was worried because you watched them for Brighton, you knew exactly what you were going to get and that's exactly what he's given. Slobberslay was more of like, it felt a little bit like left field, like I hadn't heard of him before. If you'd heard of him, okay, you had, but... You know, I think a lot of fans were sort of new to who he was and he's just, yeah, like I mentioned, hit the ground running, but also just is like like a throwback to like what Jurgen Klopp wanted to build at Liverpool in that like players that just don't stop running. And that used to take time. I remember like Oxley Chamberlain, Fabinho, like not like getting in the team straight away because Klopp needed to like almost train them up where Sobersly is like a ready-made version of a Klopp player and he's 22 and... Yeah, he's played eight games and Liverpool fans are losing their minds of how good he is because he's he does I mean he scored a, a cracking goal against Leicester, has one against Aston Villa. The technique is like unbelievable, like up there with the very best. And yeah, he's drawn comparisons to Steven Gerrard and he's not played ten games yet, which is I think, yeah, he feels like the sort of transformative player. But then you've got Mo Salah just carrying on doing what Mo Salah does and Nunes is now looking like the player Liverpool I think initially thought he was signing they really like ironed out his edges and he just seems to be you know in this state of confidence and like understands the players around him more and just his movement he just seems like he's really at home now and then you've got Luis Diaz obviously he was out for such a long time and then Gakbo Jota there's like options as well which is I think is the really encouraging thing a word on James Madison at, at Spurs, because in the same way that there's been players that have sort of kick-started Liverpool's season in that, that change, James Madison has done likewise for Tottenham. His contribution has been significant. Two goals, four assists, big on the field, but also vocal off it as well, which is which is helpful to the whole premise, basically saying Spurs aren't Spursy anymore. I just, I wonder, firstly, on... On what he has been saying, do you think that that might come back to bite him, or do you genuinely believe that his introduction into that side and this new setup is less Spursy will have a you know a more solid spine? Uh, I, I don't think it'll come back to bite him, and I don't think he'll he'll carry the way. Yeah, but he's, um, which is so refreshing. Yeah, yeah, his impact's unbelievable. I was on the Spurs pod yesterday asking the guys who've been following Spurs for years, can they think of an impact? that one player has made, and not just an impact like scoring five goals in your first five games for the club or anything like that, but also the way that they've they've got the club straight away and the fans have taken to him straight away and his teammates and his manager, and he's, he just feels like a Mr Spurs already. It's remarkable mm. how much, it's like, it's like he's been preparing for it for a couple of years and like he's wanted to join Spurs and now he has, he's just, he's just gone with it. I feel like the first game when I watched the highlights and I was like, oh, Madison plays for Spurs. Like, that happens the first weekend of the season. You're like, oh, they play for them now. But then the second game, third game, it's like, oh, yeah, he's a Spurs player and I can't really remember him playing for Leicester, almost. Mm. Yeah, yeah, totally. He, and he, he embodies everything. I hate, I hate. I'm not even going to use the phrase, but what they say about Postacoglu's style of football. What? Angeball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know. Don't, don't like that. But Don't like it? Well, we've well, done have, you, have you run out of steam with it? Are you just, just you were no, all no, on board, but you no, no, just balling just, all over the shop. No, just before. ball, full stop. Oh, ball, right, something ball. Just okay, fine. Lazy, do you know what I mean? All right, fine. Uh, sorry, <laughs> digress. Uh, yeah. Um, so, okay, no, that's interesting though. Mm. So, what would you, what do you want to call it when someone says Angeball? What would you say otherwise to describe it? 
I'll just say postcoglu style of football. It's too many words, isn't it? It's more letters, though, isn't it? <laughs> and ball's letters, fun. You know what you yeah. you know what it means straight away. You know, no, no, that that's fine. But it's just it's <laughs> if just, you want to have your fun, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Have like, you ever what? said it? Um, no, not not without. I might have said it before. What with, have you not said? Uh, I might have said Nuno Ball, maybe. Oh right, if okay. They use that. But you've not said what? Don't remember. Oh right. <laughs> I was just trying to get you to say yeah, next, yeah. I can just tell by your face yeah, go on, then, go on, go on. Um, so go on you were talking about <laughs> I was talking about post-cognitive style of football and how Madison <laughs> fits in really well within it yeah. Um, but yeah no um, I think some people he, he winds some people up um, not just with his sort of on-field antics but I think he's got this reputation as um, as a party boy part of that justified but when you when you speak to people uh, who he's played with in his career you'll see that he's in the past couple of years in particular he's really really matured and you have to do that to be a top top player. You don't get where he is now without that. I think I think others have overlooked that in the past. I know that Man City were rumoured to be sort of looking at him, and Pep was an admirer. And Southgate obviously sort of um, kept him on a leash for a couple of years. I think for those reasons as well. But since becoming a father and other things that have happened in his career, he's 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 26 now, and you can you can see that that maturity is there plus the cockiness, which is what part of what makes him a great player. And it's great to see the the sort of banter let's let's say uh, between him and Bakayo Saka and the use of his celebration and and just the way that he sort of I don't know just seemed very comfortable and you, you just thought when they don't when they do go to England and they are together in the same dressing room it will just be a nice atmosphere he, he doesn't come across with any edge does he he comes across with honesty humility and humour, which is which is great to see. Similar, similar to Nick Miller, really. Um, Very much so. Yeah. A, a word about the game as a whole, because we'll dig into a few more elements of these these two sides that have sort of almost repair shopped themselves uh, mm, after last season. Is. Lovely um, stuff. Uh, no reaction to, to that. On, <laughs> does on that, does that suggest they did that? No reaction in the studio either. Does that suggest that Nick and Kiva didn't listen to last week's show? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. So. That's fine. I, I'm very much so. I didn't listen to... I, I also, I'm aware the, of the concept of a repair shop, but I've never watched that either. So. Yeah, that's fine. So, And you've never Great seen show. it either. Have you seen it? I love the repair shop. Get in there. Get, get in. Just get in. People take... Get in there. Like... We're little in. things that are broken and mean something to them and then these amazing people fix them oh right yeah okay so it's like a like, like... I cry off every episode right wow so, so it's like you know granddad's old watch or something like yeah that, like though. a little like train set or something right that is that does sound very heartwarming it's like See? it's like Antiques Roadshow but like everything's broken <laughs> <laughs> right and then it's all fixed. So that's why cry. I used that's why I used the comparison because it it means a lot to so many people. Um, I was going to ask Nick because obviously we're focused with you know a Liverpool person and a Spurs person in the room. You're not. You're a Forest person. But when you look at that fixture, does it get your juices flowing? Because you've seen the how they've sort of been refitted. Yeah, very much so. I mean, um, it, it, there's a lot of pressure on it this weekend because otherwise the, the, the fixtures are not, you know, the greatest otherwise. But this game is, you know, it, the the two styles of football, which we're not going to, you know, refer to in any kind of pithy way. There, the, there are enough similarities, but enough differences to suggest that they, there are, they're going to, you know, it's going to be these two kind of forces smashing up against each other, which, you know, it could be completely chaotic. I mean, Kiva mentioned the slight concerns about Liverpool's defence, although um, I think I think only Man City have conceded fewer goals so far. Yeah, but they've conceded so. one in five yeah. out of six games, so it's kind of just like 
even though they're scoring, is it like two and a half goals per game, they're conceding. Yeah. So it just it feels like that little bit of jeopardy is still there, but then they've got this real... But like, are they doing it, it for doesn't fun, matter. do you think? Are they just Maybe. sort of going, come on then, we'll give you a, we'll give you a lead. Tell you when it, it wasn't back. fun last season when they conceded early so much and then just like kept losing or drawing or having to like, they didn't have enough in the tank to fight back, but now they have. So I think that's the difference. It's like they're not worried about it. But it, both both teams are scoring a lot of goals. I think Spurs scored at least twice in every game mm-hmm. yeah, and Liverpool have scored three in quite a, in quite a few games as well. So... Um, you would sort of expect something quite chaotic and exciting. So, yeah, very much juice is flying. Yeah, good. It's three three goals in their last three games. Right, there you go. Um, and they're looking to score three goals or more in four successive games for the first time since March 2014 under Brendan Rodgers, which was fun as well, wasn't it? That was fun. That was a great time. It was fun, that wasn't was, it? Yeah. Can I offer a, a stat slash fact that I've stolen from someone else who works for Athletic? Yeah, go um, on then. Was it, was it me? It wasn't you. Okay, no. good. Carry on. It was uh, Will Jeans who works as uh, oh, one yeah. of the uh, uh, sub editors on the on the desk. Um, Liverpool and Tottenham obviously unbeaten. So are Manchester City and Arsenal, all unbeaten after six games. Only twice before in the history of the English top flight of four teams remained unbeaten after seven games. Uh, one of those happened in 1990-1991 and the other was 2011-12 so yeah assuming they all don't lose this weekend then um, well not not unprecedented it's twice precedented but not not very often that's a great stat another 2-2 draw then yeah Yeah. also I love a pre-Premier League all-time stat it just gives it so much more gravitas than all-time that was a heavy stat (laughs) well done I like that Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. I'll ask you, Tim, in a moment about how long this sort of wonderful new Angeball era at Spurs will, will last, but I just wanted to get Kiva's take on on the Klopp situation and how he has sort of done almost like a Fergie-esque reinvention of this side. He's got a contract until 2026. How long do you think this these new green shoots will grow for? How do you, how long do you see this this period lasting for? Well, we're at the beginning of it, so I think that's what's exciting because when you got into the rhythm of his first team, um, you know that was then. You know, a few seasons of success and trophies, and he brought everything back to to Liverpool. The, you know, the fans wanted. So that's the hope that this is like the rebirth now of Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. And I think that's been sort of a a thing that's needed to happen, and maybe hasn't in terms of different transfer windows and Liverpool not quite doing the business that they needed to. But this time, it does feel like, other than a centre back, 
you know they got the players that they wanted they you know the the midfield's completely new and then the other midfield is a Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones, Stefan Bajcetic, you know these young players um Thiago as well who you know we haven't seen yet this season because he's obviously been injured and then it just I don't know it feels like there's enough freshness there there was sort of a worry about like youth and experience and whether you know there was a, enough sort of to bridge the gap between those two things but as the season's gone on and the results have you know happened the way they have and the performances have been as confident as they have it does feel like you know we're at the start of that now and I think that's what's exciting if it continues in this way just to say um Klopp's obviously been there a long time and he's won everything because you mentioned starting again there the start of something new where where, do, where does he get his motivation for starting again because this isn't just going to be probably isn't going to be a one season thing you know what what is his where does his motivation come from yeah I guess it's wanting to I I think one of the things that Jürgen Klopp really wants to do and this team and the players that are obviously um, still part of it that won the league in 2020 when obviously we were in lockdown is win the Premier League again and have that moment with the fans because they never got that you know we had the Champions League parade the, in 2019 and it was you know I think a million people or something on the streets like winning the Premier League was so much bigger because it was such a long wait 30 years and you sort of felt like that pressure release and you know then people couldn't like celebrate in the way they wanted so it still feels like there's unfinished business in that way and then I kind of think about Pep Guardiola's quotes I think he said it quite a few times that you know you can't do it with the same players and you have to sort of I don't think Liverpool have done that as well as they could have where Guardiola's quite ruthless in you know, a player will go and you just be like, whoa, I thought he was like, you know, one of the mainstays, but you've got to keep evolving. And I think Liverpool right now are at the point of the beginning of that evolution. I wonder whether it's this, it's got something to do with um, how it all kind of ended at Dortmund as well, because he was there for seven years and then that last season, it really kind of, it really went off a cliff. Um, and it sort of looked like that might have been happening mm. again last season, but now maybe he just wants to kind of prove that he can do that. He can reinvent a team and reinvigorate a team, and it's not just like he has this kind of, you know, he has this inbuilt lifespan as, as a manager where people just kind of stop listening to him or whatever it was that happened at, at Dortmund in that last season. So, I don't know, maybe that has something to do with it as well. Yeah, there was certainly low points last season. Like, there was a... I think when Liverpool got beat by Wolves and Klopp had like taken to Crosby Beach, good. you know, nice like one, Kiva. I like that. That's good. That, <laughs> you have you to you that? have to hammer just him on Wolves as much as you can. So nicely dropped in. Well done. Just letting him get you know yeah. remembering the good times there. Um, no, 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 but the way he said it, like it was so humiliating mm. to lose to Wolves. That's the way that Deeply I thought. Deeply embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, even yeah, Wolves. No, but it was, even, like, it even was in the midst of just losing to anyone and everyone, and it just felt like Liverpool were at this real. Low point and yeah, clock went on this like wolves, yeah, yeah. All right. yeah. <laughs> right. I, I, I know the point you're trying to make. Yeah, it's good. You, you just keep labouring. Clock went it's on good. this like walk along Crosby Beach near where he lives, Formby Way, and it sort of was like maybe not a ch- like a turning point straight away, but obviously it felt like quite a, a key moment. And just you know, I think it's good to clear your mind and go to the beach to do that definitely. And I think from there, Liverpool have like been building into this now, and uh, yeah, I don't know what quite where they're going to go and I'm reluctant to say it's a title race yet but it, it feels like it's heading that way if things continue Just a quick word on the fact that this week going into the game Tottenham haven't been playing which obviously 
is disappointing to Spurs fans because they aren't in contention for the, the Carabao Cup. Um, Liverpool did have a game, albeit there was there was loads of changes. Do you think that this will be a slight advantage for Spurs going into it or, or no impact whatsoever, Tim? Uh, it's hard to say for this week in particular, but I think that definitely helps Spurs this season. Um, well, there's no hard and fast rule on this because Chelsea don't have Europe either and they're, they're heading for the relegation zone. So, um, Albeit they won in midweek. So they <laughs> yeah. did win and they actually thought, oh, oh, we can win football matches again. So who knows? Yeah, although Carabao Cup with, with a reserve team. But yeah, that's, that's the point you're making. But I, I think I think with, with Spurs particularly... A win with, is um, a win is a win, I think is the saying. <laughs> yeah, um, particularly with Spurs the way that they're training and they're still learning a new style albeit they've taken to it very quickly but more more with Spurs they haven't got a great bench they haven't got a great squad so that's one of the pitfalls ahead for them for sure that a couple of a couple of injuries you can say this about any team but a couple of injuries and they're, they're really struggling they're lo- they've lost Perisic for the season which is a real blow um, they're, they're already missing Sessegnon on the left flank so they're massively relying on a 19 year old Italian uh, sorry he's 20, 20 now Destiny Adoghi um, who's who's got a shoulder the burden for quite some time because there's no one else to play there except for Ben Davis, who's a very 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 different footballer to Destiny Doggy, and that completely changes the way that they'd have to play. So um, yeah, there are pitfalls there with the squad, but I I do think that'll be a huge advantage over the season that they're out of the Carabao Cup as well. So potentially only playing sort of if they don't go far in the FA Cup, forty matches all season compared to others who'll play sixty plus. Definitely definitely beneficial. Final word on this game. Kiva, obviously, you're you're getting carried away. We are only six games into the season, yeah, but you think that this is this is well. you know I just said reluctant Liverpool to are, say Liverpool are you know they're going to win everything. But do you see them now in in a title battle with Manchester City, sort of old school? Not yet. I feel like when they play Man City and how that goes and how they are going into that game will be because every time Liverpool and Man City have sort of been in a title race, it's always felt like those games have defined it. Somehow, even though actually Tottenham, um, Liverpool straw with Tottenham in that 2021-22 season was probably, you know, you can pick a game and go, oh, that was the costly one. But that actually was because obviously it was um, 1-1 draw at Anfield and then Liverpool, you know, obviously didn't win the league that season. So it feels like all of the games are important, but where Liverpool are when they get to that game against Manchester City will, I think, sort of, you know, that's when you can probably start making a judgment on that because you know it can quite easily sort of fall apart. But right now, it's yeah, it's looking good. And Nick, from your point of view, on Spurs in the top four, I mean they are fourth at the moment. Do you see it being a, a battle for the top four for them, or do you see them being able to sort of break through with with the wonderful you know key word of Angeball really pushing them on? to maybe even a title tilt or is that far too much to expect? I think that's that is far too much as Tim mentioned the squad is thin Doggy gets injured they're in trouble I guess even with Benton Kerr still out if Basuma gets injured then they might have some problems Son gets injured then you know there's no, there isn't really a reliable source of goals there as well so yeah I think title title is too much I probably Champions League is might be a bit much by the time you get into sort of the winter and injuries start taking hold and stuff. I actually completely disagree on on top four or top five that it'll that I think it's realistically going to be this season. I think when you look at, I mean, they're already nine points ahead of Chelsea, and uh, Man United have got so many issues. And I think once Europe really kicks in in earnest, you know, Brighton and, and Villa are going to struggle with the amount of games and potentially Newcastle as well. 
I think I think it's open for Spurs to break into that top five. I really do. The this this the momentum and the, the belief they got. If you saw the game last week, you know they they, they were hammered for half an hour at Arsenal. Like it was, it was almost kind of suffocating how much Arsenal were were pressing them and creating chance after chance, and they were drowning at one point. I really thought they, they're going to get hammered here. Not only did they just brave that storm and then come out with the odd counter attack, like having defended with a back sword, they didn't do that. They played their way out of trouble with this really extremely brave one touch football going through the middle of the park as well. Not like they're um, playing it long down the flanks for people to chase. They were playing their way through Arsenal. You can't underestimate. I think that that bravery that he's somehow managed to instill in them already in just a few weeks, and lack of Europe means injuries will be less of an issue. I think as the season goes on. So and we saw with Arsenal last season, we said time and again, "Oh, the squad's not big enough." And yeah, when it came to sort of March onwards, they had a couple of injuries that were costly. But overall, the squad issue wasn't too much of an issue for Arsenal last season. So yeah, I think I think they can take this and run with it. Prediction time, Kiva. 2 2, already said. It's got to be. Tim? Uh, yeah, two, I think 2 2 is the, the obvious sort of score. What's line. going on? Nick? Yeah, 2 2. What? <laughs> 2 2. Come on, well, round. It's Yeah, I mean, it, you, we're all hoping for kind of high scoring game. 2 2 draw. That's, that's I mean, 3 3 would be more fun. Yeah. I think it's actually going to be 1 3. Right. Mm. I don't, but I just sort of said it <laughs> to be different. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Rexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Shall we have a quick scan of some of the other games this weekend? Let's do that. Um, obviously, we're expecting Manchester City to make it seven wins out of seven at Wolves. That's um, that's almost a, a given. A quick word on on Pedro Neto, though, scoring at, at Kenilworth Road. I saw a great clip and it was very funny. Whereby, because goals, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but sort of age-old problem or recent age-old problem of not being able to score goals. He, when he scored, he did... 100 different celebrations in one it was fantastic wasn't it so so good he did like yeah. li- listen to the ears <laughs> yeah. uh he did he did like the the the, the chest yeah kiss the badge hold the shirt hold the shirt um, into the crowd into the crowd the whole lot it was fantastic and it went on for a while he thought you know i'm just going to keep on doing it because I, who knows when another one is going to was going to come it'd be pretty funny if var chalked that one up <laughs> <after. laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. that was good um but a word, i suppose a word to, it's worth marking that manchester city have actually lost a game and they lost in midweek against um newcastle albeit in the run-up to the game pep guardiola couldn't have been more dismissive of the the carabao cup even though he, he you know likes to win it now and again um they lost against newcastle um a word about the bottom and it is it feels like it's a big week for 
for Everton in the mire, but they could make it three wins out of three. They won last week at Brentford, which is an impressive win, albeit Brentford didn't look particularly cohesive, which is surprising. They beat Villa in midweek in the Carabao Cup, and now they take on Luton, and they can put a bit more breathing space between them and the and the bottom. Yeah, I mean, you... you watching last weekend against Brentford was kind of quite surprising in it, but it also reminded me a little bit, not not quite so much in the way they played, but of the when they beat uh, Brighton towards the end of the uh, sort of back end of last season. And it, 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 you wondered whether it was a sort of brief flash of competence that then sort of disappeared or whether, you know, actually Sean Dyche is miraculously kind of trying to make, making some sense out of this mess. Um, so I don't know whether beating Luton would necessarily be a sort of confirmation of that, but it, it is. It would be an indication that the Brentford win wasn't wasn't just a, a blip, or you know, a version of the Brighton win last season, after which they, you know, obviously only survived on the last day of the season. Word about Aston Villa against Brighton because that's that's a juicy fixture as well. I know we've had a big focus on on Tottenham against Liverpool, but sixth Villa against Brighton in third. We've spoken loads about Brighton. Great recruitment, exceeding expectations, Deserby's a legend and all that sort of stuff. But just a quick word from anyone on, on Unai Emery, because the job that he's doing is is still exceptional. I know we've got the issue with the Aston Villa shirts at the moment and Castori, their kit supplier. I almost said another word for um instead of kit. But Aston Villa in sixth against Brighton in third has, has the makings of a, of a juicy fixture, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, as Tim mentioned before, a, you know, with so many of the kind of established powers struggle or, or looking in various types of shambles, there is a an opportunity certainly for at least one of those clubs to to sneak in there. So yeah, I mean, I I take it back. I was very dismissive about the uh, the other fixtures other than Spurs Liverpool, but um, you've reminded me that this will be a cracker as well. A quick word about Manchester United because I saw a lot of people saying, "Wow." That was the performance of the season against Crystal Palace in the Carabao Cup. They go head-to-head again at Old Trafford. Everyone's saying, well, they, you know, they've turned a corner and, and all that, but they are ninth. They're only on nine points. They're five points off the top four. It feels like they, they have to win this one to sort of stay in contention and keep just some sort of grip on the situation and get, get a league win. I mean, and obviously, you've, you've got Liverpool leanings Kiva, but do you see Manchester United under Eric Ten Hag being able to come to fruition? I think they started slow last season. We were speaking about this a few weeks ago, wasn't we? And you kind of expect them to get going, but it took a little bit longer than I thought. Maybe just winning a game is a nice feeling. And basically, they've just got to do that against the same team, whether, you know, changes will be made and whatever. Um, but that's quite a nice starting point, isn't it? Playing the same team in, in a matter of days um, to get themselves, you know, back up there. And it does only take, you know, I think the, once you turn it around last last season, you know, we know how quick you can just, a win can change everything and, you know, you slowly start climbing up the table. I think that's, you know, sort of, um, where you expect them to eventually be, even though it has been a bit of a mess. Ten Hag's sort of like third, fourth favourite to be sacked at the moment. I just like, I, you know, by no means a Man United fan, but just 
pleading with them not to do that. Like, gee, like come on, it's not his fault. <laughs> Look how rotten that club is. You know, three players can't even play for the team at the moment. That's how many issues they still have with ill-discipline that stretch back so, so, so far. There are so many things wrong with that club. I just don't think he's one of them, to be honest. I just hope for his sake he gets a couple of results. It's interesting, though. It's interesting you say that because he's not necessarily sort of a breath of fresh air, sort of fun guy, Angie sort of guy. Maybe they just need a bit more sort of joy in there. I mean, Fergie wasn't the most joyous of managers. No, I'm not sure. They've never been a. They've never been a really joy. No, but maybe that's what they need. Club. Maybe that's all that they need. They were all. They were. But they. They were. Even under Ferguson, they never. They. They were never like. They were. They were just a winning machine. They never. Yeah. They, they played. They played a good football and they scored lots of goals. But they weren't a a team that, as a neutral, you would always be super excited to watch. As like you know. Liverpool under Rodgers or uh, Tottenham under Pochettino in the kind of early years. You, you, I, you, I, from from a neutral perspective, they weren't. They didn't look particularly joyful from the outside. But, they but were having got, fun. But, and yeah. in the intervening period, with what Moyes, Ten Hag, Mourinho, Solskjaer, Solskjaer, ah, Solskjaer was the babyface assassin, sort of a bit more fun and shining happy, and that didn't work. So maybe maybe Ten Hag is the right guy and it'll all turn around or maybe it'll continue to be a little bit of a shambles. <laughs> we shall see. I think it's just a shame you don't cover Man United for the Athletic because I'd, exactly. I'd love to read that piece. Yeah, just <laughs> Come on, bit, guys. Come on, guys, just chill out. Just, <laughs> just have a bit more fun. I guess it's weird that it's become normal. Like my childhood, I never imagined that it would become normal for United at any point and it's happened a few times over the past few seasons, you know, in the post-Fergie era that they've become a team that can lose games and you just kind of go, oh yeah, they lost. Like, that used to be like the biggest thing ever if they lost the game. Yeah. It was just like, you know, oh my God, Man United have lost the game. Oh. Where now it's become a normality. Sometimes they get into these sort of runs where it's like a normal thing. And that, like, if I could go back and tell myself when I was, you know, a kid that that would be a thing, you just could never imagine it. I remember a season, I, th I can't remember which season it was, but I think actually it must have been 94, 95, where they didn't even concede a goal at Old Trafford until February. So, and which was, and, and that wasn't like, enormously like it, it, it was unusual but it was like well yeah it's United of course of course they didn't they were just this you know there, there was a whole generation of uh, football fans now growing up not remembering when Manchester United were good which is mind-blowing life is all about cycles um a quick word if you want to get more into Manchester United um and maybe have a more uh, detailed conversation rather than my sort of <laughs> just chill out check out the talk of the devils podcast with uh, Laurie Whitwell Carl Anker uh, Andy Mitten and Ian Irving each week. Right, we have uh, talked far too much about loads of football um, and we've run out of time. Kiva, thank you very much. Thank you. Tim, thank you very much indeed. Cheers, Adam. Mick, well done. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Uh, can I just uh, plug a Oh, a, yes, a piece? of course you can. We forgot to mention something, didn't we? Go on, far yeah, away. So I was in Austria at the start of this week yes. doing uh, a piece for our... Derby Day series. I was at Austria Salzburg against Red Bull Salzburg. Um, a very quick bit of background. Uh, Red Bull Salzburg bought or took over the uh, previous iteration of Austria Salzburg in 2005. Um, the the uh, traditional uh, Austria Salzburg fans weren't happy with this, so they formed their own club. It's a sort of souped-up version of AFC Wimbledon and MK Dons. Yes. Uh, Austria, the new Austria Salzburg, have been kind of gradually working their way up the leagues. Uh, but this week was the first time since 2005 that they've uh, 
uh, ever played uh, each other. So I was there, and it was the game itself was not a particularly thrilling contest because uh, you know Austria Salzburg still playing. The, the the third tier, which in Austria is is regional and it's, a lot of it's semi-professional. Red Bull Salzburg have won the last ten Austrian titles, uh, and they won this game four 0 But the story and the occasion was was great, and the atmosphere was fantastic. Uh, and I've written a piece which uh, should be out on the Athletic now. Perfect. Pyro, all about pyro, wasn't it? Big pyro, big pyro. There was pyro at the. I went to the Austria Salzburg's final training session the night the day before the game. And uh, probably about three, four hundred fans showed up to that and set off smoke and pyro and were singing various songs that had swear words in the um, in there about Rebel Salzburg, which was terrific fun. Nice, love a bit of pyro. Iowak and Willeri will be back on Monday. Uh, I will be back next Friday with another weekend preview. Read more from the likes of Kiva, from Tim, from Nick on The Athletic and you can sign up now for our best ever price of £1 or $1 a month for an entire year at theathletic.com forward slash football pod thank you very much for listening remember to drop in your comments and we will see you next week take care